everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Livestream. My name is Amos. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad for you to join us. And uh, before we get started, I just want to talk a little bit about that survey we sent out a couple of weeks ago um, and show you this pie chart. And I'm really showing you this chart in order to celebrate the diversity that we have in our church. Uh, It is showing us that the message of Jesus really does work and that people who are different can come together and uh, have same similar purpose and be in community with each other. So this chart basically shows uh, the results of the survey when we asked, would you be ready to move into an indoor service immediately? Do you prefer outside? Would you move inside after uh, it got too cold? Would you move to the live stream? Or do you just want to live stream now? And so basically we show that our church is divided into thirds, which again, I think is something really to celebrate because of the unity we have in our diversity. And so about a third of people prefer outside, but would move inside when it's available. About a third of people are ready to move inside immediately. And about a third of people are either wanting to stay on the live stream or will move to the live stream uh, once the outside service concludes because of like weather. <laughs> so uh, here's the plan we're rolling out. It's been uh, approved, given input, shaped by the COVID advisory team and ratified by our board of directors. For the month of October, we're gonna basically stay with this format, live stream at 9.30 outside at 11. In November, though, we're going to create an opportunity for people to come inside with some protocols I'm not going to get into right now. Uh, But we'll continue to live stream this inside service and then continue with the outside. In December, we'll probably send out another survey just to get a better sense of exactly where people are at. It's really tough to make decisions about December today, as you'll find. So uh, with everything that we're trying to make decisions about, but uh, we'll, we'll set up some sort of RSVP system. Uh, one of the cool things about our COVID advisory team is that we have a few doctors. And as they were looking uh, closely at the stats, they're seeing that even as some you know, private schools have been opening with the proper protocols in place, uh, the spread of COVID-19 isn't speeding up, at least in our like little locale. So Really glad to have their input. Really excited to be inviting some of you into the building again. Uh, It's weird. We've been live streaming the whole time, but if you remember, we started a renovation uh, pretty much right as things started to close down, and it's given us some time to not totally complete, but make great progress on this room. We've been opening up some other spaces so that the lobby and cafe flow together a little better. So Uh, Looking forward to that in November. But uh, before we get started, let's pray. So Holy Spirit, come. We ask that you would meet us where we are in our brokenness, in our shame, 
We pray that you would flood our bodies with joy and peace and love. And today, especially, we think of our president. We ask that you would protect his life. We pray that you would uh, reach out his hand, your hand and uh, help him to experience your love during this vulnerable time. So God, heal his body, uh, purge the virus from it. And along with healing, we ask for wisdom and strength. And so as we now turn to the scriptures, we ask that you would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would do work uh, between, you know, my mouth and uh, the live stream and the ears that are hearing so that uh, it would actually be your words that are heard and not mine. We pray this in the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. So um, before I read from our passage in Matthew, uh, as we continue our love period series, uh, and as we remember that everything Jesus says has to be run through this lens of love, I want you to know that on this particular subject, I've been really careful to make this kid-friendly because I know that there are kids listening in and we'll have kids at the outside service with the picnic to follow. Uh, so I'm going to be talking a lot today about kissing and, uh, and watermelons, okay? But I just, I'm saying that to put your mind at ease as we read now from Matthew 5, verse 27. Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's pretty intense, right? Well, uh, at our outside service, we're actually going to give you an opportunity to read the words of Jesus literally, if you'd like. Um, okay, it's, I mean, that's ridiculous, right? The, the thing, that's, that's, uh, that's like dark humor, if you, like Fargo humor, if you've seen that one. But uh, the, the thing that I want you to hear is that reading the Bible literally is not the same thing as taking the Bible seriously. I mean, like, is Jesus saying, yay, we get to go to heaven, but you'll be bloody stumps as you get there. Like, praise the Lord. No, like we, when we read the Bible, there's some work to do sometimes about what Jesus is intending to teach. And to understand that, you have to understand a little bit about context, a little bit about language, a little bit about who he's speaking to, who he's speaking against. In this case, he's speaking against the Pharisees. And if you remember a few verses earlier, we talked about this two weeks ago, Jesus is actually calling his followers to have a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. But you don't get a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees by becoming more of a Pharisee. You can't out-Pharisee the Pharisees at their own game. Jesus is saying, uh, essentially, if you follow the way of the Pharisees, you end up with something that uh, a, a friend of mine and a vineyard pastor and a, and a law, he was a law student, I don't know if he ever went on to be a law professor, called an ad, oh wait, can you put that up on the screen? Reductio ad absurdum. That's Latin for, can you guys guess? 
worship team in the room. Reductio means reducing to absurdum. Absurdity. In other words, if you come at something with a stupid premise and draw it out to its logical conclusion, and that conclusion is ridiculous, you know that there's something wrong with your premise. The Pharisees are saying the problem that needs to be fixed is external. We need to make sure we put guards around our external behavior so that we don't sin. It's uh, it, it's not an uncommon belief in the like ancient world and some civilizations, right? If, if you're caught stealing, they cut off your hand thinking, well, if you cut off the hand, then you won't be able to steal anymore. That'll solve the problem. But no, of course, you still have your right hand uh, if you cut off your left hand. And even if you cut off the right hand, the real issue is in the heart. So you'll find a way to steal. Jesus is saying, I'm not after behavior management, sin reduction. I'm after a change of heart. I am looking for something that is inside. So you Pharisees, as you focus on the external and trying to ensure that you follow all the rules in order to receive my favor, you've missed the point. If you know anything about God and anything about Jesus, the idea of Jesus literally asking us to cut our arms off is an absurdity. It's ridiculous. It's it's not at all, it does, right? It doesn't match with the person or the message of Jesus. And so uh, I'm not going to get into this, but the very next passage, Jesus says, uh, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, which comes from the Old Testament law. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is a, another really tough passage if you only read it on the surface. But one of the things I want you to consider is that when you read something in the Bible that's jarring, do a little work and try to read some context. Ask some friends. Learn some Greek. I don't know. Like Try to find out what Jesus is actually teaching because sometimes it's not so obvious based on what's on the surface. So I hope this like begs the question for you and you go and look a little deeper perhaps into the issue of divorce because it's not as clear cut as some, well, as the Pharisees would have made you believe. So let's back up though into the passage that I really want to focus on. It's one verse. Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I want you to I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the word and the idea behind lust. Lust or epithumia in the Greek is an overpowering desire to possess. And it's not just limiting to, limited to kissing. Okay, it's not just about kissing. This word in the Bible, in fact, can be used to reference clothing, food, wealth, money, a variety of other things, not even necessarily bad things. In other words, Jesus is not saying that desire is bad. He is not saying that kissing is bad. He is saying that when you let your desires overpower you to the point that you must possess it whatever the cost, 
that you've like lost your way. And so uh, I was talking about this to my life group on Monday and I said, oh guys, I'm, I'm pretty stressed out about Sunday. This is one of the like really tough passages in the Bible. And uh, one of the dads said, and he's got several kids, and he says, you know, I talk to my kids about lust. I say, the thing, the, the thing that makes lust wrong is that you use something for your own selfish pleasures without caring for that thing. In other words, lust is selfish. Uh, it objectifies uh, and, it, and it uses and abuses for yourself. So if we can just use this watermelon as, as an example of the thing that you desire that gets into the driver's seat of your life. Right? This watermelon, it looks good. And from a distance, you think, this watermelon, if I, if I had it, if I could just obtain it, then I would be happy. I'd never hunger again. Nothing would be as fulfilling as this watermelon. I've got to have it. It looks good. It smells good. I want to kiss it. No. It's, I mean, I'm, sh- it, I'm sure it's delicious. And in fact, we would say, because if you begin reading the Bible at the beginning, that the watermelon was created good. What is not good is when you look at the watermelon and desire to possess it and it overrides all of your actions. The watermelon is telling us a lie in that it is offering us something that it cannot give us. And so with that, I want to turn to uh, the beginning. I mentioned Genesis where God creates all things good. The only thing that he says is not good is that uh, the men shouldn't be alone. And so he creates a helper for the men, for the man, Adam. Uh, of course, helper here is, well, not of course, it's, it's the Hebrew ezer. And uh, it's a word that's used for God sometimes. So it's not, not like assistant, it's like strength. So the man needs somewhere like to, to be strong or to, to like help give him strength is what I mean. Uh, and so he creates a woman, and now it's really good for the man. And, uh, and within that, God creates kissing and watermelons and, and all sorts of other things that are good and beautiful, and that's the first thing you have to understand about desire. That God created you to desire things. It is a reduction to say, it is wrong to say that Jesus directs us away from our desires. But sometimes our desires can go haywire. And what happens in Genesis 3, and I'll just read it as it goes, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman replied to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. The serpent says to the woman, You will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, 
Mm, right? Like the cravings have started to go haywire. It's, it's seeing. It's, you know, engaging the senses. You can smell it. You can touch it. Maybe get a little closer. Uh, what senses am I missing? See, smell, touch, taste. Uh, I'm sure it tastes good. And then like the hearing, right? The serpent tells her about it. Or maybe, maybe she thumped it a few times to see if it was, you know, good for food. And then it says that she took it and she ate it. And you guys kind of know what happens next. The choice to trust the serpent and distrust God, to trust the serpent's lie and distrust God's like boundaries leads to the casting out of the Garden of Eden, leads to the unraveling of God's good creation, leads to rebellion against God, leads to like all kinds of misery and pain and suffering for the rest of humanity. All because the serpent offers Eve in the fruit what the fruit cannot actually give. So let's, let's uncover this a little bit. So uh, the word for desire here, and I, I, what I should have said before I move, jump to Genesis is that I'm, I'm going to draw from something called the Septuagint. Okay, Bible nerd mode, one second. Okay, so you maybe know the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek, which was the common language of Jesus' day. Uh, maybe what you didn't know is that there was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that was around during Jesus' time, right? So if you wanted uh, people who didn't know Hebrew to be able to read the Bible, they had this special translation for him, right? Just like we have translations in English. And so one of the insights that this old Greek New Testament or Old Testament gives us, Greek Old Testament gives us, is like, what are some of the words that Jesus is using that maybe draws from what you read in the Old Testament? Pretty interesting, I think. It's something that I often will look into. So this word desire is the same word that comes through as covet in the Ten Commandments. Commandment number 10 is the same word as Jesus uses in our passage today, Epithumia. So the woman has this overpowering desire to possess this fruit that the serpent says will make her like God. And she sees, she lusts after this fruit because she says, it looks like it will give me, well, the English translation here is wisdom. But this is not the wisdom that most of the Bible talks about. So if you know the book of Proverbs, it's full of wisdom. Not the same word as you read here in Genesis 3. The word here in Genesis 3 is a more expansive word that can just as well be translated as to prosper or to succeed, or uh, in other words, you know, like you're winning at life. So the offer here, the lie is that Satan says the fruit will give you what you've been looking for to fill that hole in your heart that really was made for God. If you eat this fruit, you will 
be prosperous. You will succeed. You will have understanding for sure. That's why they translate it wisdom. But in the ancient world, the idea of having wisdom typically led to like worldly success, to winning, to victory. And so the lie of lust is that it offers you completeness, wholeness, prosperity, happiness, as in if I only could get that thing, whatever it is, money, stuff, status, girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, kids, house, phone, if I could only get my hands on that, then I will be full and satisfied. But it is a lie because once you get it, you realize that it can't offer those things. And if we just jump forward a few, well, probably a few thousand years and a few books to Second Samuel chapter 13, you see how this manifests in some of the children of David. This is a passage about lust at its core. So it says, in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar. Do you guys know this story? The beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. So this is uh, Absalom's sister and Amnon's half-sister, if you're paying attention here. Uh, Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She had never been kissed before, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, some of you guys know, uh, kids, you know that it's wrong to kiss someone if they don't want to be kissed. Everybody knows that? Everybody, everybody knows that. Okay. There's a, there's a time and place for kissing. And there are some different times, types of kissing too. But uh, let's see here. Now, Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shimeah, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you think the king's son is looking so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? In other words, Amnon is so entranced with Tamar that he's not even getting up and brushing his hair and, and uh, brushing his teeth, comb, brushing hair, brushing teeth. Yeah, uh, he's, he's like heart sick, right? He's, he's head over heels in love. Why do you look so haggard? Morning after morning, won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab Jonadab says, go to bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so that I may eat it from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. (coughs) Sorry, guys. This is, a, this is a sad story because <laughs> it shows the power of lust and overriding desire to possess and what people will do to get what they want. She took some dough, kneaded it, made it, made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him 
the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left. And then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here to my bedroom so I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to eat, but when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me. I want to kiss you, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than her, he kissed her anyway. I guess having a daughter, like really, makes this awful. And here's the kicker. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and get out. The power of lust is dangerous. The desire to possess something for yourself, to use something or someone is selfish and it cannot satisfy you. Just like Amnon, once you get it, you'll realize that it was all a lie all along and so all you'll want is more of whatever it is you thought was going to make you fulfilled. And it's not always watermelon and it's not always kissing. And so sometimes we look for fulfillment, for prosperity, for victory in in like places that are good, just like watermelon is good. So we go to church and we think, maybe if I just serve at my church enough, Uh, then I will be satisfied. And that doesn't work, so we do more church and more church. And some of us think, maybe maybe if I get really political, then I'll find purpose in my life. And if I'm conservative, maybe I'll try becoming more conservative. And if that doesn't work, maybe I'll switch to trying to be progressive or liberal. And then I'll try getting more liberal. And then I'll get cynical. Maybe that'll work. Maybe I'll find fulfillment in just criticizing everything and finding hope in nothing. And, and when that, well, I mean, that obviously doesn't work. <laughs> uh, cynicism isn't going to like find a place to inhabit your heart and bring joy and love and peace. Like that's not going to work. The lie of lust is that it will fill you when only the things of the kingdom can. Jesus is saying really in this whole passage, if you find yourself lusting, in any of the ways that we've talked about today. If you find yourself angry, if you find yourself worried, if you find yourself greedy, there's actually something underneath at the heart level that is misguided, that is aimed or pointed in a direction other than my kingdom, because only my kingdom, only me, only by possessing me, Jesus says, and running after my kingdom can you find that fulfillment that you're looking for. And what you find in Jesus' kingdom is selfless love, first and foremost. And so at the Vineyard, we talk a lot 
about loving like Jesus. And loving like Jesus is actually at its core, training our heart to desire things the way Jesus desired them. And so like what is good and appropriate as like the, the crown jewel of your heart's desires is the person of God. So to epithumia, God, that's, that's where you will find wholeness. And Jesus actually uses this word uh, on, on the night, on the very night that he is betrayed. He says, I epithumia to be with you, my friends. And this is not a selfish love because you know what happens. Just, I mean, it's a day later. He gives his life up. The place to find fulfillment, the experience that you need can only come through Jesus and his crucifixion and the, the same power that raised him from the dead. And that has the ability to break, like, the, like to out, have this outbreaking power of love for God and for other people. And it's not about you. It's not selfish. It's selfless. The love of Jesus is selfless and it seeks the good of others. And there's enjoyment and there's pleasure in that. And there's, there's room to enjoy watermelon and kissing and, and food and stuff and, and jobs and careers. But, but underneath and in service to the advancement of the kingdom of God, where you will, you will come to that thing that you thought would make you whole and it will only make you hate. And so just uh, as Jesus gathers together his 12 disciples and almost certainly uh, men and women, he has a meal with them. He has what we would call communion. It's, it's an expression of saying like, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are essentially like consuming me. Like my body and my blood is going into you. And that is what can satisfy you. And so if, uh, if you're viewing this live stream live, uh, I'll be sending out an email in a few minutes after the worship is concluded There'll be an opportunity to take communion over Zoom. Our retired pastor, Bob Palumbo, will be leading. Uh, I hope to be able to jump on. But I just, I encourage you, uh, as the worship team comes up, to, like, make a decision today that I am going to turn away from all the things that I think will make me whole. Not, not totally renounce, right? Again, you can't renounce things, hoping that that'll just like solve the problem, but to, to subject your other desires to your desire for God. And that can come through a prayer. And that I think is, is touched on here. And just a quote by Rob Bell that I'm going to read real quick. If it's just me against the lust, the odds are always against me. Whatever it is that has your hook, has its hooks in you, you'll never be free until you find something you want more. It's not about getting rid of desire. It's about giving oneself to a bigger and better and more powerful desire. And that is the truth and the beauty of Jesus. And so that's one of the ways you train your heart to like 
love and desire. Jesus is through what the church has called spiritual disciplines. It's through engaging with worship. It's through taking communion. It's through spending time in silence. It's through sometimes reading your Bible. But don't confuse love for your Bible with love for Jesus, guys. That's a Pharisee move. Don't, cons- don't confuse like a desire to be obedient to Jesus with the belief that my worth and value comes from that obedience. That, that worth and value and desire to be known and loved, those are all good things, but they can only find their fulfillment in Jesus. So, hey, I love you guys. Let me pray as we kind of lean into worship here. So again, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We ask that your peace and joy and love would flood out the lust that ensnares us. We pray that your truth would overpower the lies that, that are whispered in our ear. In every commercial we watch, in, every, in, like in our everyday interactions that, that make us believe that we can find happiness in places that are not you. And so release your kingdom over the live stream today. Meet people. Pour out your spirit on them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.